0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Andrew Cohen. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Hi, Rick. It's great. Great to be with you.
0: I'll just read the little bio from the uh, jacket of your book. Um, Andrew Cohen is a spiritual teacher, cultural visionary, and founder of the global nonprofit Enlighten Next, and it's a award-winning publication, Enlighten Next magazine, to which I've been a subscriber on and off over the years. Um, Since 1986, Cohen has been traveling the world, giving public lectures and intensive retreats on his original contemporary spiritual path and practice, Evolutionary Enlightenment. Through his writings, his teachings, and his ongoing dialogues with philosophers, scientists, mystics, and religious leaders from almost every major tradition, he has become known as one of the defining voices of the new evolutionary spirituality. So we're going to get into an in depth discussion about what is meant by evolutionary spirituality or evolutionary enlightenment. But um before we start doing that, Andrew and I thought it might be appropriate to have him tell his personal story, just a short five, ten minute uh synopsis of the journey his, he's been on since basically sixteen years okay. old.
1: Okay, uh very good. Um I just I just noticed
0: my dog is outside. Roz? <laughs> I guess we're Did, both we're both drummers and yeah. we're both dog lovers. Oh, you're a drummer? Uh, well, I gave it up oh. to you know become a meditation teacher like you, but um. All the dog back. Uh, he's he's outside. Um, At one point, I had like a nine-piece band with horn section and uh, really? the whole deal. Yeah, out in Connecticut. When,
1: when was this recently? Or no,
0: this was like 1969, 70.
1: Oh, awesome! Yeah. Was it like was it like R&B or or? What? Yeah,
0: kind of, sort of a jazz rock, blood, sweat, and tears kind of kind oh, of thing. Oh,
1: fantastic! Yeah, oh, you're uh, so we have a lot in common. Huh? We're okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was it was a great, fun thing to do as a teenager, but at a certain point, I decided this is not ultimately what I want to devote my life to.
1: Yeah, I understand that. I actually started playing again about ten years ago, uh-huh. and I have a, a band and we play a lot. But I'm I'm getting so busy that I'm I'm not having enough time to to devote to it anymore. So I'm I might have to let go of it again.
0: Yeah, isn't your band called Unfulfilled Desires or something like that? That's the name. <laughs> That's the
1: name. That's, the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay, so um, I was brought up. A, I'm fifty-six years old. I was brought up in a secular Jewish family in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, um, I had no exposure or uh, to, to any concept of of God or spirit or anything higher. Um, the first time I was in, I was introduced to the notion of the divine is we had a, a German housekeeper with a wooden leg, and she, she knew that I that we weren't being taught to have faith in anything higher than ourselves. So uh, one day uh, I was we were uh, I lived on the second floor on Lexington Avenue between 93rd and 94th Street, and we were sitting on the sitting looking outside the window, and she 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 told me to look across the street to the 12-story building. Uh, and as she said, she, and there was a little, there was a little kind of bungalow type thing on the on the roof, and she said, "That's where God lives." <laughs> and she said, "And she said He can see everything you're doing, and He knows everything you're doing." And I believed her for a little while.
0: Mm.
1: But it, but in any case, um, I my 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 first uh, my initiation or introduction to Spirit uh, happened one evening when I was uh, 16 years old. I was living in Rome at the time, Rome, Italy. I was sitting with my sitting up late. Having a dialogue with my mother, and I don't really remember what we were talking about, but for some reason the doors of perception opened for some mysterious reason, and uh, I suddenly became aware of beginninglessness and endlessness. Um, often when I tell this story, uh, I, I describe it as uh, I suddenly became aware of the whole universe. But but it, but but even e- e- normally when we think of the universe, it it, it, it is. Um, the universe has at least, in the way we think about it, a beginning and an end. So in this awareness of the totality of everything, there was no beginning and there was no end. The, uh, that, that which had no beginning and had no end had a self-nature. There, there uh, it, it was a being. It, it, was a, it was a being, the nature of which was a kind of impersonal, absolute love that uh, was completely overwhelming. It was completely overwhelming. The, the intensity of the feeling of experience of ecstasy was literally physically crushing and I felt I felt, I felt like I was going to die. I mean that was kind of the, from uh, the, the immensity and the intensity of it. I, um, I, I became aware of the fact in, in those few moments that all points in space are exactly the same place. That no matter where I went, I'd always be in exactly the same place. And at the time I didn't understand what that meant. Uh, I did, it was many years before I understood what it meant, but it was just something that became uh, apparent to me. I also realized in those few moments that there was no such thing as death, and at the end of this revelation, or this initiation from the unknown, it became apparent to me, and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I received some sort of message, and I feel odd saying these kinds of things, because I don't really know what it meant, but at least in, my, in the eye of my memory, it, it was apparently that the message was, if you devote your life to me and me alone, you have nothing to fear. Hmm. And the implication was that if I did something else, you know, I was going to be in trouble. And I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, and, I, and I was, like yourself, I, was, I wanted to be a drummer, I wanted to be a jazz musician. So I, I, I pursued that. And then uh, uh, in my early twenties, early I, um, I was going through a very hard time. Nothing was working out. I was miserable and depressed and lost and And the memory of this initial experience and this initial initiation kept uh reoccurring in my mind and i I, I, there, there, I remembered that I had something that I needed to do and it was to pursue this and it kept building up and building up and building up until at a certain point when I was twenty i just I gave up my aspirations to be a musician, and I devoted myself uh hundred uh, percent to, to being a spiritual seeker and uh, and I did all the things. Then, yeah. And I was a kind of a full-time seeker from the age of 22. And I did all the things that see- you know seekers do. I started getting up in the early in the morning and reading about mysticism, about meditation, about uh, about Buddhism, about yoga. Um, I learned. I, I took initiation from an Indian uh, an, an Indian spiritual master. I learned. I learned how to meditate. I was voraciously interested in the subject. You know, I'm a very curious person. So. I I I met other seekers, and I would go to see everybody who's coming through town. And in, in New York, of course, a lot of people came through town. So I, I went to see every teacher that I could. I was curious. I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. Um, um, I started a friend of I was I was on a path that was really based upon. It was really Kundalini Yoga meditation, and I, when I was reading about Buddhism, uh, and I and when I read about Buddhism and the Buddhist description of enlightenment. Was one thing, and I, when I would re- when I would re- read the descriptions of, of some of the great Eastern Eastern yogis, what they described was a lot, was, was more similar to what I'd experienced than what the Buddhists were describing. Eventually, I started going to um, attend a Buddhist meditation retreats because you could sit all day long. You could sit 18, 20 hours a day, and I, I learned a lot about the nature of mind there. And I I had various teachers. I became, for, for various different reasons, I became disillusioned with 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 all of them, for, you know, for different reasons. I eventually, when I was 27, decided to go to India. I wanted to go to India. I'd heard so much about it. By that time, I knew that I wasn't going to, was, that I, I'd met a lot of people by that point, a lot of other seekers that had been in India for 20 years, and when I met them, they didn't seem to be any more enlightened than I was, so I was pretty aware of the fact. That going to India was no promise of anything, but I just felt I had to go. So I decided I was going to go for three months. Uh, when I arrived, I realized that I wasn't going to leave, and the, principally because being in Manhattan and being a, 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 a seeker for for uh, of of liberation uh, was kind of weird. Because in Manhattan, everybody says, "You know, what do you do?" <laughs> and, and I, you know, I was working for my brother, and I I was I was doing you know working a little bit, but I didn't. I I was living in another universe than everyone else. And somehow, being in India, India gave me the permission to to seek wholeheartedly and publicly. It could be public, finally, it could be part of my my public personality. Um, I I met many seekers throughout on this journey, and the difference between me and most of the other seekers that I met is I I knew I was going to get there. The reason I knew I was going to get there is because of this initial experience or this initial introduction I had when I was a young man. So I knew, what was, I knew what, was, what was on the other side of the curtain, I knew what was on the other side of the veil. A lot of the other seekers h- hoped it was true, had read about it, were hoping for something. The other thing, uh, Rick, is that I, had, I made up my mind at a certain point when I was 22 that I was going to go all the way, whatever that meant. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that that's what I was going to do, and I never, and I never had any doubt about it. So there was the, a the deliberateness in my intention that I didn't find in most of the other seekers that I met. Um, and after two and a half, and after two and a half years in India uh, uh, i was pretty sure I wasn't going to find what I was looking for there and I had had many teachers by that point, and I was in the kind of Krishna, the j. Krishnamurti state of consciousness or j Krishnamurti perspective. I really felt that uh, the teachers were just going to be another trap, another place for me to get lost and stuck uh, and I realized uh, that i was going that I knew I could do this, and I knew it was, I knew if i just could be in one place and exert and exert live a very disciplined life of, of rigorous, deep and profound practice for, for a long enough period of time. Um, it, it was, it was going to happen and that it was inevitable. So I was really going to, I decided I was going to go to Korea to live on, on a, a mountain there that has all these Zen monasteries. And it wasn't even because I was interested in Zen Buddhism, I just knew, I just, if I had the environment and the discipline, I knew it was going to happen. I, just, I thought I would go there and stay there for five years and not leave, and to be celibate, not, not, not let myself get distracted. And that was when I heard about uh, um, a teacher, of course, who's now become you know very well known, but at the time the, the great H.W.L. Uh, Punja was unknown. Nobody nobody knew about him, nobody heard of him, and a, a friend of mine had told me about him, and of course he was uh, a disciple of the great, you know, 20th century giant, you know, uh, Ramana Maharshi, and I had never met a, a master of Advaita, let alone a, a disciple of Ram- Ramana Maharshi, and I was very curious. I'd never, I'd, I'd never met that kind of teacher. I'd never, I'd never experienced that kind of, fun. and I was very curious to meet him, and I was, I was told he was quite extraordinary, so I wrote to him and he told me I could come see him. And Rick, this was really, you know, way before he was discovered. So when I went to see him, he he was living in his son's house in Lucknow. He had a small bedroom uh, on the second floor, and, and no, nobody was there. I, I um, when I went, in, he was just sitting in his in his uh, you know, in a lungi and, and an undershirt, just sitting on his bed, very unassuming. There was, uh, and when I went in, he. I told him because I had a lot of confidence as a seeker, and I was also kind of fed up with teachers. Even though I was very happy to see him, I told him I don't I don't have any expectations. And then he looked at me and he said, uh, "That's good." You know, he said with a lot of confidence. And so that that was really the beginning. And so in the, I had a remarkable experience, as many people have had. You know, even in the first few moments of being in his in his uh, presence, um, I, I was with a friend of mine, and we were asking uh, we were asking him. How much effort does it, you have to make in order to be free? And he, he whispered, he said, you don't have to make any effort to be free. He whispered it. And, and when I heard him out of those words, something happened to me in, in my, happened to me. Um, I, I suddenly became aware of a brook, or water running down a hill, a brook. And I realized in that moment that my own true nature was just like that water, which means that it, it was all, it had ever been unobstructed. And I realized in that instant that the illusion was that, 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 that the illusion with there is that there had something had been in the way. I realized that I'd always been free, but I hadn't known it. And, this, and, I, and I was just staring at the ground. maybe this, this happened praying in about three seconds. I didn't say anything. So this, there was a three moment, three seconds of silence. when I just looking at the ground, this happened, and he said, she shouted, "That's it!" <laughs> and I looked up at him, and I, I said, "How did you know?" you know?" and he burst out laughing, you know, and then I realized I was obviously in the presence of an, an extraordinary man, uh, and that was really, that was uh, the beginning, uh, and I, at that point I spent three weeks with him, I was staying in some little hotel there, and I would I would uh, spend, go over there, you know, in the late morning, around 10, 11 o'clock, and we, I'd sit in his room with him, or we'd go for a walk together, and I would eat lunch with him and his family, then we, I would go I would take a nap, he would take a nap in the afternoon, and I would come back and spent a few hours with him every evening and sometimes maybe there'd be one other person there but we, uh, i spent a lot of time really alone with him and and, uh, and there was a, uh, i didn't really know what was happening i i i um, at certain moments i thought this is the most incredible person i've the most incredible person teacher being master that i'd ever been in the presence of and other moments i thought this is just some crazy old man <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I, um, uh, there were two other th- important events happened with him. One was, I at that point in my, in my career as a seeker, I was, I, I was an existential question that was really deeply troubling with me, that I needed an answer for, that nobody could help me with. I wanted to know, was the ultimate nature of reality emptiness? Or was the ultimate nature of reality fullness? In my, in, in my initial initiation experience when I was a teenager, we, we could say that was an experience of fullness, ab- absolute fullness. A lot of the descriptions of the, the uh, Enlightenment experiences of the Eastern Masters were descriptions of fullness. In, in the Buddhist training I had, and I went to many, many Buddhist uh, meditation retreats, the, the Buddha was saying the ultimate nature of reality is empty, no thingness. ness
0: mm-hmm. Shunyavada, Purnavada. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly right. And I, at that point, I really felt I had to know. You know, it, it, to me, it, this was this was like a life and death issue for me. And when I asked him, he said without hesitation, he said, he said, he said, that's very simple, Andrew. They're both two sides of the same coin. Yeah.
0: All right.
1: And that it, I can't tell you, Rick, how that that, that was such a relief to me to know yeah. that I, I could let I could let go of my, of my confusion about it. I, I could let go. And then finally, um, of course, we've been talking about all kinds of things, but finally the, the, the catalyst to, to, the, to the transformation experience was, uh, was finally I told him what had happened when I was a teenager as I told many of my teachers and, but none of them really knew how to respond to it. And he, he, and he said, I, I told him and he said, Andrew, he said something like, he said, you know everything or you already know everything, something like that and in that moment and i think you know it's obviously because i was in the presence of a of a of a of a, of a spiritual master with an enormous enorm, you know with enormous grace you know the, the, the grace of god so to speak and the the, the grace of, of, of consciousness was uh, was in and through him and all around him he was he was, he was a portal to the divine uh, for sure you know in, in the most profound and extraordinary way and so that was a big part of it, but it also had to do with his, his obvious spiritual authority, that when he, he, he basically said, you, it's already happened, was the message, you already know everything. In that moment, I felt something let go inside, deep inside me, and it felt like um, uh, it, that, and that initiated uh, a process that, that took about three weeks. But I could feel something let go in me, with me, and so at the end of those three weeks, he told me, Something very big is going to happen, and then of course I was thinking, how the hell does he know? <laughs> you know, he's just a crazy old man. How does what the hell? You know, how could he make such a statement? Something big is going to happen. You know, I, you know, and I and a part of me would go, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing. You know, this, could it be true? And then the other part of me would say, this is just ridiculous. You know, and and and, and don't get your hopes up, kid, because this is all crazy. That kind of thing. So after, after three weeks, I, I told him I was going to leave and go visit some friends of mine, and I would be back. You know, I'd be back in some weeks, and uh, and then I went to the. I was sitting in the in the train station in Lucknow, by myself. I was sitting in the train by myself. Oh, there was one other one other part of the story that's kind of funny. That I was a very disciplined meditator uh, in those years. Very. I mean, that was my my. I didn't know. I wasn't sure about anything, but the only thing I was sure about is that is that I had to meditate every day. That was my anchor. It was my it, it was the only thing i was holding on to and i'm depending on for everything and and when he told me after the, when i was with him originally he said you don't have to make any effort to be three when i would go back to my room then and sit on my bed and cross my legs i got a headache
0: mm-hmm. yeah i heard you say that and when i was listening to recordings and and the thought came to mind that perhaps you had been in the habit of Making an effort when you meditated, you know straining yeah, yeah. or forcing or concentrating, and in the in the sort of the, the relaxed effortlessness of his grace, that effort stuck out like a sore thumb and gave you a splitting headache
1: <laughs> definitely, so I had stopped meditating, so then what happened was that i when I was sitting in the train, i just I suddenly felt my eyes close mm-hmm. and I was, and I was, I was being meditated there was a right. a, a current
0: spontaneous there
1: was, yeah there was a, a current had uh, had had started to uh, uh, pulsate and vibrate, you know, in, in in the in the core of my being, and then uh, and that was then that was really the beginning of a three-week process, uh, and this current got uh, stronger and stronger and stronger, and I uh, when I went to, I arrived in Delhi, and I saw, I felt like there was this there was a being or there was there was something that was following me that was with me that I couldn't see, mm-hmm. and I could feel it in my solar plexus, right, and it, it would it would and and, it's, and it would get stronger and stronger. And what the experience was of was, was, was an intense ecstasy and a burning simultaneously—a burning and intense ecstasy—that when it when it would go, when it would really build up and build up, it was unbearable. It, it was physically unbearable. It was too much. And then it then it would recede. And um, and as it would get bigger and bigger, I, lit- I my experience at the time was the feeling like I was being consumed. I literally felt like I was being consumed by. Uh, by a being, by, an, uh, by a, uh, a, 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 a... that I couldn't see. And, I, and I, w- I was thrilled. I was thrilled out of my mind, and I was terrified. I was scared to death, both at the same time. I was more thrilled than I was scared, but I was very scared, and I really felt that if this doesn't stop, there will be no, nothing left of me. And then finally, one morning, I was in my hotel in Delhi, and I saw myself... It's, it's, not, it's not, not something I did, but I saw myself, I just sat up, and I uttered the words, I surrender my life to you, do with me what you will. And I wasn't really direct, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't anything that I had intended to, to, to say or to do. I, I, I observed myself doing this. And I wasn't really surrendering to to, to, to Punjaji, the, the, the Master, as an individual. I was surrendering to whatever was happening. So I said, I surrender my life, do with me what you will. There was a, there was a um, I saw in the eye of my mind a whirlpool, and I, I felt that all of my, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but what I felt then was all of my own karmas were, were going down this whirlpool and what was going to happen next I didn't know. It, was, it wasn't going to be of my own, making my own choice. And At the same time, when I would meet uh, friends, the, you know, the, the friends, and fellow seekers and travelers that I'd known, that I knew, the minute I sat down with them and I started speaking about what was happening to me and this amazing experience with this extraordinary teacher, the the space between us filled up with grace and they were they I, suddenly they were in the same state I was mm. and this kept happening and then were, especially in those days it was very powerful it was very very uh, intense that that, that they were being you know uh, um, thro- they were being drawn into this same experience that I was in the midst of it was almost like I was a burning bush I was a burning fire and anybody who was getting near me who had sympathetic interest in me was trusting me was catching fire too and this was so then I knew, I knew. I mean, I didn't know what was happening to me because I'd never heard of anything like, quite like this. In other words, I, what I'd imagined before was that whatever was going to happen was going to be a purely subjective event. But what was happening to me was powerfully affecting other people right away. And then simultaneously, I, I, I seemed to have access to a kind of clarity uh, uh, and depth that wasn't there before. I mean, I, I, it, it was just kind of overnight. And so after three weeks... I flew back to Lucknow. I w- went into the living room, I fell at his feet because he you know in a typical Indian fashion you know he he called himself the master all the time and mm-hmm. and you know and he wanted and everybody touched his feet which in India as you as you very well know is a sign of respect but i because in the earlier days i in the first three weeks, I told you i, w- I i'd one hand think he was this extraordinary master, and the other time I think he was probably just some crazy old man. You know, always calling himself the master, and then I fell at his feet, and then I obviously, I knew, and I, I think I was started crying, and and then he said, you know, I knew this was going to happen. I told him what was happening to all these people I was meeting, and how they're being affected. And then he said, I knew this was going to happen, and um, and finally, uh, he felt he, he was he wasn't well at, in that period. He was quite thin, and he thought he was going to die. So he told me I was I was up in in his in his room with him and he and he looked at me in the eye. I was sitting next to him, and when he and he when he wanted to look at you with a kind of ferocious ferocious intensity, you know, it was like not, it was it was it was quite something to behold. And, uh, and he told me that um, he said, Andrew, I want you to accept responsibility for the work. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he made it clear that he wanted me to carry on his legacy, what he was doing, and. And I, I, I don't remember if I said anything or not, I probably didn't say anything because I don't think I knew how to respond to it. The other thing he said to me, he said, I don't want you to depend on me for anything. He said, I've already, I have I, I can't remember the exact words, Rick, but it was more or less, I've given you everything already. You, everything I have to teach, you already know. But he made it very clear to me that he didn't want me to rely on him for anything. I want you he wanted me to stand on my own and allow this to happen. So." Of course there's a lot more to the story with him, I don't, I, I don't, we probably don't want to spend all that much time on that but, but, uh, but I, that, then I left him, I went to Rishikesh and then I had a small group of people gathered around me and really that was the beginning, that was uh, 26 years ago.
0: Good. Let me interject a couple of questions and comments and then we'll shift into a uh, discussion of evolutionary enlightenment. Um, First of all, I think there's a nice takeaway point from this, which is in, popular, in modern spirituality, sometimes there's this anti-guru bias, like you don't really need a teacher, and it sets up this unnatural hierarchy, and, and you know just be your own teacher, and so on and so forth. And I think maybe people who promulgate that notion haven't actually spent any time in the presence of a great teacher. They don't know how palpable and profound the transmission can be with someone like that. Um, how transformative it can be just being in their vicinity. Uh, so I would encourage people to keep an open mind about that. Uh, second thing is um, if you had to say, okay, I mean a lot of people speak of their awakening such in such a way that they could mark it on a calendar. You know, um, would would you somehow say that the culmination of that three-week process was your awakening? If there was a you know discrete event.
1: Um, well, I mean, the way I think about it is, is that, my, my, that my initiation, my spiritual initiation occurred when I was 16.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I, when I was 22 and I made that decision that I was, was going to do this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can tell you a, a funny story that I, I was going to a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst to be specific, and I suddenly realized that I was sick of this, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I got up and told him. I said, "I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be free." I said it. I said it with a, a confidence that I'd never had in my life, right? Because I was a very insecure person when I was a young, a young man. And he said, "You're just getting started," you know. And I wasn't. I wasn't intimidated. And so there, there. Were, that was the second part of it. Was there was a. There, I knew that I was going to make it. So, so, so. Um, so that was so that was the second, and the third, of course, was was meeting the master. Of course, that was uh, now. I'm in my own case. I know that this was going to happen one way or the other, and in, in my case, of course, it was through his grace that that this transformation occurred, and I'm in 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 his eternal debt for that. But I'm I, but I know that one way or the other, this was going to happen because I, in terms of where I was at in my life then, I I was not going to go. I was not going to come back and settle in and live a quote-unquote ordinary life. I, I saw everybody was doing it and I wasn't going to do it. And I had a small income at the time. It wasn't very much, but it was enough to live cheaply on the road. And, I, and so because I was determined this was going to happen one way or another. So um, so I don't know exactly what the moment was. I mean. I, it, it was all, for some, all... for
0: some people, there isn't a moment. It just sort of sneaks up on them, and they can't, can't quite say when it happened. Other people have this like lightning clap and, you know, thunderclap moment that, that, right. that is a watershed, night and day difference for them. Uh, but I'd say the majority, it's more like it sneaks up like a thief in the night, and in, only in retrospect do you re- do you realize, whoa, I, I'm on the other side now.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <yes. laughs> Uh, One other thing, I I listened to a lot of recordings of you in preparation for this, including an hour-and-a-half version of the story you just told, and um, you you mentioned that at a certain stage you had a kind of a philosophical falling out with pundi but you didn't really say what that was. Would you mind commenting on that? Oh,
1: sure. Um, Well, first of all, he, you know, he, uh, uh, just for for the record, that um, I I, wrote... I was like one of the original satsang teachers. I mean, I don't teach that way anymore, and I don't mm-hmm. call myself that anymore. But when I was with him, I kept a diary of those three weeks. And then uh, about a year or so after I started teaching, I, published, I self-published it. The name, of the, the name of the diary is My Master is Myself. Uh-huh. And I think that that, that book helped uh, uh, enormously for the world to discover, him because at a, at a certain point, uh, I was teaching in Amsterdam, and a lot of Osha Sannyasins there, and then they after reading this book, and when any people came to me was reading this book, uh, they went to find out who this extraordinary man was, and I think, I think that played a, a, a significant part in getting the word out about who he was. But the thing was that Master Punja was, uh, he was a, f- a fierce and ferocious rebel against tradition, mm-hmm. and he was, he was a radical Advaitist. I mean you, I don't think you can be more radical so his position was you're it's all it's always already true you're always already there hmm. there's no there's nothing between you and what you're seeking always already right now so so one so simply give up the give up you know drop the thought of of separation and you and and you're already enlightened and um, and so he any any method any path including meditation you know is something that you do to get yourself somewhere where you're not so he felt even in, you know and this is very profound and I think that, you know one has to have a pretty sophisticated understanding of non-duality to really appreciate this but he, he any any spiritual practice anything that you that you do to, to get there from his point Point of view, is is helping to perpetuate the the, the ignorance that you're not a- already there, right. and and of course um, he powerfully, you know, transmitted that truth to anybody who was able to receive it from him, and he definitely powerfully transmitted it to me. So so what happened was that that's more or less how I started teaching, you know, just through, through you know just people just through spending time with me, and sometimes just not through just through spending time sitting in silence. Or uh, through through uh, through you know some kind of philosophical Advaitic deconstruction process, I would take people to to you know walk people back to zero, and um, and so many people were having the similar kinds of awakenings, or what you know the same kind of energetic burning experiences that would go on for weeks, the same kind of going in, as, in in and out of states of intense and uncontrollable ecstasy, and then then falling back to the ego and starting to doubt the whole thing, and then falling back into it. Um, what I started to realize, Rick, is that um, is that there's a lot of development that any true seeker has to has. To, we we all need to develop, and there's no way around it. And there's no there's no there's no there's no, there's no spiritual experience that will that in and of itself. Uh, takes that takes that away so i had in the early years you know i i was you know in in the early years you know i was having evening after evening after evening i where people we were all just swimming in ecstasy swimming in bliss and from my perspective i mean that's what did it for me even though i think it was more than that cuz i was very i i thought deeply about these things i was Inquiring, I was always wanting to know. I thought that all these people that were drenching in this ecstasy and they were drenching in this bliss and they were receiving my teachings were going to be permanently and irrevocably transformed because it was all so obvious when we were all together and it was all so simple. But I started to notice that, you know, it wasn't. For most people, it wasn't. That in spite of these extraordinary, profound, miraculous, life changing experiences, a lot of people had, there was a lot of work that everybody had to do. And I kind of saw that. And so, I, at a certain point, you know, I just realized it was true. You know, they had to put in the years of, the, in order to get to understand how the mind worked, they needed to, they needed to spend hours and hours meditating and observing the nature of their own mind. There, there was all kinds of philosophical inquiry, moral inquiry. This is something that we needed to start a whole realm of practice in order to develop. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that he said to me, you know, he he said to me. Don't rely on me for anything, and this is actually it's what he said to me, and I took it to heart. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what what I did, and when I became apparent to me that people needed practice, they needed development, I started telling people to practice, you know, to meditate and do do other things in order to develop. And when he heard of this, you know, he really—I mean, this is this is very secondhand because he never told me directly. But I heard he he really didn't like it because he thought I was destroying his direct path, Mm -hmm. And, and. and, you know i wasn 't destroying it, I, mean, I knew how to teach that way, and I still know how to teach that way but i i just i just didn 't a couple of things i didn 't think it worked in the long term in most cases also I saw that it, ma- it tended to make people very arrogant so because you know anybody anybody who 's receptive can have an experience like that, but then you know it, you know they can get pumped up and think they're places that they 're really not and i saw I, I saw other people that Puncher was sending out to teach in my you know opinion seemed I thought were arrogant and pumped up and also uh, had a very narrow seemed to have a very narrow interpretation about what transformation was 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 all about and I started to realize well wow I, i'm develop- the way i 'm developing as a teacher in 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 ways based upon what i'm experiencing and bas based upon really following my guru's instructions, which is really figuring this out on my own that was really that was really taking me in a different direction from his and then uh um you know and at a certain point, it became very unpleasant. It be- became very it, it, our disagreement was largely philosoph- was fundamentally a philosophical one. but you know, he you know without going into much of the details it, it, it was painful I think it was painful and uh, very unpleasant for both of us
0: well you know i 'm no expert on Ramana Maharshi, but from what I understand of his teaching, um, he offered different strokes for different folks uh, for some people, he might have offered the sort of thing that um, Punjaji that you just described but for others he might have advocated a meditation practice in fact he gave mantras to some people and as did Nisargadatta and for others he might have said well do some service you know work on some selfless karma yoga selfless service and that that's what you need um, so he, he kind of uh, and he, he would start with the highest verse but if that didn't stick then he would step, step it down and notch and say well okay then this is for you um, I've heard that account from a number of people so in a way I think maybe you know Punjaji had his has, had his approach and it was very effective for a number of people but it no one, to my understanding wasn't necessarily a perfect reflection of what his uh, his guru's approach was no i don't think
1: so no i, I don't i don't think so as i said he was a, he was a, a fierce he was a fierce rebel against against he was fiercely rebellious against uh, tradition and um and 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 i don't i mean i don't know anybody who 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 had the, that same gift he had of, of really making it clear that there was nothing in the way
0: yeah, and i 'm fine with that. I mean different uh, people have different roles to play, and you know his role may not have been that of a compromiser who was going to compromise to any extent with with the relative you know, levels of of reality or different stages of development he He was for those who were ready to pop um, if it worked for them
1: yeah, but i mean i i the thing is he he um, like like many uh, Vedantists, you know, he his whole approach was was basically you know fundamentally that consciousness alone is real. Mm-hmm. So if you started bringing up philosophical issues and moral issues, he'd tell them that's all the, that's all mind.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, well, you <laughs> and, know, the, the founder I, I, of Vedanta, Shankara, he would say consciousness alone was real, but he also you know was devotional and, and advocated sort of moral scruples and and, and so on. He. You know, he was able to play on all levels simultaneously.
1: Yeah, well, well, uh, at least in my experience, uh, Punjaji definitely didn't, and they're all, you know, and I think he had his own reasons for not wanting to, you know, which, but I, I, it didn't work for me because because I've um, I've I've always been a philosophically oriented person, and uh, and uh, moral development and um, moral clarity to me is Fundamental to spiritual development, mm-hmm. and those were those were issues that he didn't, that he 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 didn't he didn't really uh, embrace. And he he if you started going into it, he would he he would off, he would basically feel that that's all about ignorance. That's not important. The only thing, the thing that's important is the absolute. Realize the absolute and let go, and that's it. Huh.
0: All right. Well, let's use this as a as a segue into evolutionary enlightenment because I want to sp- uh, reserve plenty of time to talk about that. And I there's sort of seeds in what we've just been discussing that would actually you know, pertain to that discussion. So let's get into that. Why don't you lay it out for us in a nutshell, and then we'll kind of pick apart the different uh, aspects of it.
1: Okay. So in in my in my teaching, I make a, a distinction because, between what I what I call in my language, traditional enlightenment, and 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 evolution, the new evolutionary enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So in, in the in the traditional model of enlightenment, the tra- traditional Eastern model of enlightenment is is really about uh, what's called vertical liftoff. It's about the experience of transcendence, transcending the mind. If we transcend thought, if we transcend the mind, you go beyond thought, you go beyond the mind. Um. Time simultaneously fades away. And people can find this in, in, for example, in meditation. If you, if you stop stop identifying with thoughts, simultaneously your awareness of time and the passing of time will also begin to fade out. And when when thought disappears and time disappears simultaneously our awareness of the world disappears. So when thought disappears and time disappears and the world disappears, when everything disappears including our awareness of our own physical form, we make the profound discovery that all the greatest mystics from all the world's traditions have realized that that we're still here. When the mind disappears, when time disappears, when the world disappears, when everything disappears, the fundamental e- essence of the fundamental, f- fundamental felt essence of who I am and who you are hasn't gone anywhere. And so this is this is the this is, this is the the fundamental and primary discovery of the world's greatest mystics.
0: And that fundamental essence isn't just an individuality; it's more of a universal field, right? universal quality it's
1: it's it's it, it's it's infinite timeless formless being beingness right yeah, in, infinite timeless formless being mm-hmm. which i which i relate to that timeless formless void out of which the entire creative process emerged 13.7 to 14 billion years ago mm-hmm. and 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 the reason uh, the reason rick why uh, why either as a meditative journey or as a as a mystical state experience? The, the reason why the experience of that realm or that dimension of reality is so liberating is because before the universe was created, nothing had happened. There, were, there were before time and space, nothing had happened yet. So, so when you when you realize that when you when you awaken to the deepest part of yourself it's never born, that's never been born, or never entered the stream of time. You, you experience the freedom from history, because nothing's happened yet. That part of yourself, in that part of yourself, there is no history. Nothing has happened yet. So bef- there was, there's no woundedness, there's no fear, there's no doubt, there's no nothing. There's just, there's just your, the infinite nature of your own un, unborn, uncreated self. And the Buddha, for, the Buddha called this timeless formless emptiness, you know, the, un- the uncreated or the unborn. And so and you re- also
0: experience a tremendous relief, you know, and freedom. I mean, the first time I experienced that I felt like a ton had been taken off my shoulders.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, 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 bur- the burden of existence falls yeah, off, yeah. off my shoulders, the, 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 the burden of existence, the burden of the body, the burden of the mind, the burden of time, the burden of memory, the burden of desire, all it's all gone, and, and, mm-hmm. and it's all gone but but then you, but, but that's also, and you realize who I am, and who I, the, 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 you know, the ultimate, the ultimate truth that all the, that all mystics tell us, is, is, is that the ultimate truth about the nature of reality is that there's only one and not two. There's only one and not two, and you are, and I am, and we all are, at that level, of being at the deepest level, the only one that there is. So when, and when you realize that the only one that there is has no beginning and no end, I mean, it's, 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 it's the experience of perfect and absolute freedom from, and like the Buddha would say, you know, the, the, that that which is born, that which is created, etc. So, the traditional model, and this this is kind of I'm, I'm making generalizations here, but the traditional model is about transcendence, about, about going beyond.
0: I just wanted to interject here that uh, the tradition, the spiritual traditions of the East were primarily, the custodians were primarily recluses, and I think they may have distorted the perhaps the original original teachings because of their recluse lifestyle and their emphasis on that transcendent value. But if you look back into the ancient scriptures, most of the Rishis were householders and there were great enlightened kings who had all sorts of responsibilities. You know, but what's come down to us after so many thousand years is admittedly uh, an emphasis on transcendence and you know otherworldliness and not necessarily practical values.
1: So so um uh for some reason, Rick, right from the very beginning, when I was teaching, you know, when when people would have these breakthrough experiences that we were talking about before, uh, I would always look for evidence of it in their behavior.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: this, this was this was always the way I approached it, uh, because to me, I've, the value of the experience is seen in the in the change of behavior and that's how, I, and so this has always been the way I've, I've approached it for for, mm-hmm. for for some other teachers, or even I think for Panjshji himself, the main thing he wanted to know is that you had the experience and you knew you had the experience. And right. for me, for me, I, I, to me, ultimately, it really didn't matter. What mattered is what's the effect of the experience, and I would measure the effect of the experience in the degree of transformation of the behavior. So, right from the very beginning, I started to shift my attention from merely the awakening, the, the internal or subjective capacity to awaken to the infinite, to the act, to actual transformation itself. The the the, the, extern, the 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 transformation of of, of of I wanted to to see evidence that the ego had been uh, transcended to, to, to a measurable degree through the transformation of behavior and if I didn't see that then no, then nothing happened
0: Good point I, after last week 's interview that I did, there was a discussion on my site where pe- some people were saying, "You know well, the relative personality is illusory anyway, so what does it matter what the behavior is what What matters is you realize who you are and, and there 's a distinction between a, a realizer and a saint, and the, the the two may not be in the same package and, I, and my what I had said on the interview was i don 't care 't give a it 's not worth a hill of beans to me if someone 's had awake, an awakening and yet they 're behaving despicably. Uh, I would like to see the the whole package, you know, the, the that evolutionary energy bleed into the relative personality and, and really affect some kind of meaningful meaningful change.
1: Well, yeah, and also unless unless the unless the, unless the mystical breakthrough actually actually has that effect. Has such an effect on it—the kind you're just describing it, 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 its I mean, I think it's useless.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So this is kind of how I was uh, how I was approaching it, and also at the very beginning, I was. Although a lot of people they would come and they wouldn't leave, so there I, people were sticking to me, you know, like glue, and so I started. There, there was there was an intersubjective world, you know, that was just like bees to honey that I, I was in, and right from the very beginning and I'd always thought when I started teaching I was going to kind of be like Master Punja where I would be like a traveling wizard, you know, because his thing, you know, he doesn't want to create anything, he just wants to be all independent. But, but all these people were coming and they were sticking to me and they weren't going away. <laughs> and then one day I was uh, I was having lunch with a group of people and I saw two people I'd have been having lunch with having a conversation and it dawned on me that what these people were sharing together, the state of consciousness they were sharing together, was even more important than what they were receiving for me, and that that was that was a very profound moment because I that was what they, I think when I realized that this is really about the you know I mean now I know it I didn't know it then but I realized this is really about the evolution of culture it's not really about pers- what I call personal enlightenment um it's with personal enlightenment I, which I say is about the liberation the awakening of the liberation of the individual himself or herself whereas what I used to call impersonal enlightenment what I now call evolutionary enlightenment is really about the evolution of of of, of culture, and culture emerges when two people share the same values. It's what's happening between us. It's not just my own intersubjective experience, but it's the intersubjective world space between us. And it's, so it's affecting that intersubjective world space that, that the teaching of evolutionary enlightenment is most concerned with. So so, so I became very interested at the beginning, in, in less on the internal and more on the external expression of, of higher spiritual development. And, and um, uh i was teaching i was teaching a retreat in actually in india in bogai one, one uh one winter this is probably about 18 or 19 years ago and something happened to me one day i was giving a talk and the talk was called out of the swamp and something came over me you know there was some there was some some, some extraordinary thing happened to me and this th- that was really the beginning of this of this of the of, the, of, the, of a very very deep shift in my outlook and my perspective, there was some kind of some kind of metaphysical metamorphosis happened during that talk, and that was really what set me on what set what set me on this t- trajectory that I, that we just began began to uh, discuss together. That I, I became interested in in the larger cultural implica- the larger cultural implications of of enlightenment rather than just the the, the unique experience the unique subjective experience of, of a of the individual. And, and um, <laughs> you know uh, one of my students is going to write a book about the evolution of the teaching because i think there's many steps in it and i can't even remember mm-hmm. most of them. but is it okay if we get into the the the, the, no, the, the philosophy yeah.
0: of it? No, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do.
1: Okay. So um, so getting back to the to the uh, so what we were speaking about the the infinite nature of the timeless formless ground of being we were speaking mm-hmm. we, we spoke about earlier uh, it was out of that timeless, formless emptiness, out of that timeless, formless emptiness, that energy and light burst forth as the Big Bang 13.7 to 14 billion years ago. So from primordial emptiness, time and space and all of manifestation emerged. Right? So then we have, so, I, so we can call timeless, formless emptiness being the realm of being. And then we, then we can, then the, the, the realm of manifestation, the world of time and space, the evolving universe, uh, we, we could say is the realm of becoming, okay? And, and, we, and if, we can, if we want to say, well, what, what, let's draw a map of, of everything that exists. So, so the, the way to draw a map of everything that exists is you also have to include everything that doesn't exist. So then we draw a circle. This is just a, a, a thought experiment, it doesn't really mean anything. We just draw a circle and then you draw a line through the middle of it, and, and we'd say at the bottom is being, timeless, formless being, which is the infinite, the, 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 the is, is in, infinite timeless, formless emptiness, the infinite nature of timeless, formless, emptiness or being. And then out of timeless, formless, emptiness or being, emerged the creative process, the, ener- the I call it, the energy and intelligence that created the universe, and is creating the universe, emerged from timeless, formless emptiness. So Shiva,
0: Shiva and Shakti.
1: Yes, exactly. I think that's
0: what they were talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, must have been. So, that, so we're being and becoming, and so then we realize, from a perspective of non-duality, right? The ultimate truth about the nature of reality is only one and not two. That being and becoming, from an ultimate or absolute point of view, are one and not two. Being and becoming mm-hmm. are one, are one and not two. And that was, the, you could say, the Buddha's the, in, the, in the in the Buddha's declaration of to, form form em, form uh, form and emptiness are one and the same. Form and emptiness are one and the same. That was in the Mahayana revolution. Was the, was was the realization that, that that which the timeless form of emptiness is inherent in the world of form, and in fact they are not different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so from a from a point of absolute, yeah, absolute non-duality, that's true.
0: Sure, and I think there's some physicists who would tell us that that's true from their perspective. Like guys like John Hagelin and so on.
1: And then and then and then you, but then 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 what we want to do is we want to come out of that. Absolute perspective. We want to step down one billion, one hundred billion billion billion, billion billionth of a millimeter, right, <laughs> in- in- infinitesimally, and then boom, we realize that there, we realize that, that that being, the timeless formless being, and the infinite creative process are two, uh, uh, are are both absolute domains that, that are that are not separate. They're one. But but they but they're absolute domains that that are, that are at the le- that are completely and absolutely different okay? mm-hmm. so in, in timeless formless being, no, nothing ever happened. right Nothing ever happened because there's no time there no, nothing ever happened in the uh, in the cre- creative the creative process uh, every things are happening all the time, and the we can we can if you we have an experiences of timeless, formless being we experience a kind of peace that you can't really describe to someone who's never experienced it. It's Because there's, it's freedom from desire, it's freedom from wanting, it's being utterly released. When we and remember in this, both of these realms are, are God or Absolute Spirit, from, from a metaphysical point of view, your metaphysical perspective. When we, when we experience what I call the evolutionary impulse, with the evolutionary impulse is the actual felt experience of the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe, God or Absolute Spirit, as the evolutionary impulse, feels completely different. It feels like, and it feels like ecstatic urgency. Ecstasy and urgency. You know what is God? God, as the uncreated, as the unborn, is is the, is the is the experience. The, the experience of God as the uncreated, and the unborn, is that peace that passeth all understanding. The experience of of God as the creator, as the creator, as the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe, is is the experience of an ecstatic urgency. And so then
0: and it's not an either or situation I don't know about your experience but both of those things can be there at the same time the ecstatic urgency and the peace that path is understand, understanding and they, they paradoxically opposed as they may seem they can both be incorporated within your experience and you can have, have this driven determination to you know, manifest and, and push the envelope of evolution and at the same time be in that state of, of satisfaction, peace, freedom from desire can you not?
1: In my experience, uh, the way I I I don't in my experience is different. I I, I don't think that they can coexist. I I, I don't think they can coexist as an experience simultaneously, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, Because because when one is in that state, uh, when one is awake to being, Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: especially if it's a deep experience of being awake to being, one has no interest in evolution in creating anything, and becoming anything, or doing anything. I you know, if it's if it's if it's deep enough you know, and I, I have this experience myself. When I lead retreats and at the beginning I always teach people about being and I don't go and get into evolution. I I start losing all interest in the most in the main part of my teaching which is evolution <laughs> because I start this, this is true it happens to me uh, you know often I start sinking so deeply into the experience of being that I start getting I have actually gotten scared of it. I don't think I'm gonna be able to teach the second half of this retreat because I don't care <laughs> about it anymore who cares about evolution because b- because before the universe was born there was freedom from within this freedom from desire so uh so t- but to answer your question being is a, in, in, in the way I understand it and I interpret it in, in my experience, being is relates to non-doing, in action. Okay, the the ev- the evolutionary aspiration in the cosmos, which is a spiritual aspiration of the cosmos, uh, only reveals itself in and through movement, motion and activity, like for example, from the becoming was a cosmic explosion. It's an explosion in motion that's still happening. So, so what, what I describe as the evolutionary impulse, we can only experience in and through activity.
0: Well, I I agree with that but and I could understand the experience of being a, by itself you know being completely adequate in and of itself but um it's my experience at least to the extent I experience it and maybe you you're ex- talking about some um, more ch- mature level of experience but that in that in the midst of activity, even very dynamic, motivated activity, the, the being quality is not entirely lost. It's not exclusively there, but well, it under, it underlies or provides a foundation for the active phase.
1: Well, the answer I agree, I agree wholeheartedly, but the way I the way I experience that mm-hmm. is that is that if if the if the if the experience of being is deep enough then um, then there is a release, a fundamental release, release of existential tension. Right. Okay, because, because I know who I am, because one knows who one is, because I know who I am, because I have realized who I am, there is a, uh, a, a, a relaxation, a falling into oneself, and so that's why people who have have awakened in a very deep and profound way, there there's a re, there's a, re, a fundamental relief of, of existential tension at the core of the self. And so you know that means physically those, you'll see there's a relaxation in the body. There's uh, in terms of people's attention or presence, you can see their eyes they'll be very steady they'll be focused. But Without it's a you know what's what's called the natural state. There's ease of being, right? Enlightenment is lightness of being or ease of being. And so. So what it, So I, I agree with you as far as the telltale signs of people uh, having uh, awakened in such a way is that there's a natural state or an ease of being that becomes just a spontaneous quality or expression of the self, and I and I, I and I and that and I b- b- not necessarily as a feeling experience of peace.
0: But then when you're back in the becoming phase. You don't necessarily forget who you are, or, or lose that no, no. Un- that underlying ease of being. It, it's it's it, it isn't there sort of a uh, being capacity to live both at the same time.
1: Well, yes. Well, let me let me finish the description about the evolutionary impulse, and then I'll describe how I think these these, these two support each other. Okay. And when they don't support each other, what's missing in both? Okay. So 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 the way so the evolutionary impulse is, is the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe. It is God as the creative, as the creator. So the, so human beings can f- can first locate that impulse as the biological command to procreate or the sexual impulse. And I ask everybody, what does the sexual impulse feel like? The sexual, imp- the ex- exactly ecstasy and urgency. The sexual impulse is the experience of ecstatic urgency or ecstasy and urgency. And what, why? why the sexual impulse create, creates so much trouble for us. is not, not because of the ecstasy, but it's because of the sense of urgency. Urgency says it's got to happen now, it's got to happen now, it's got to <laughs> happen now. But that's, that's the nature of God, or spirit, gets the nature of God as the evolutionary impulse. It's got to happen now, that's what it feels like. So at a much, much higher level, at a much, much higher level, and this emerges only in human beings, the the human beings are the only species of life form that are compelled to innovate and create that which is new. And of course, millions of years ago, this kind of innovation was really, really, really slow. You know, maybe there'd be one change every, you know, every 500,000 years and now we realize that the, 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 our capacity to innovate has, has reached ex- exponential proportions. Our, our, right. our uniquely human creative genius as human beings is, is, is you know, moving at the speed of light. It's moving faster and faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. But, we, but if you stand back you realize that we are somehow compelled, our species is compelled to give rise to that which is new, to innovate. We are compelled towards innovation and we can say that the greatest Architects of human civilization in all fields of human endeavor were individuals who were, uh, uh, um, awake to what I'm calling the evolutionary impulse. So you can call a, an Einstein, you know, an, an Einstein or a, a, a Mozart, you know, a, 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 um, a Martin Edi- Edison. Martin These were individuals that were not, you know, chilled out, relaxed individuals. They were driven, because they had a vision. Of, of, they had a vision for the possible, or, or what was possible. They saw what could be, so uh, it could be in the realm of science, it could be in the realm of cultural evolution, uh, and anything in between. These are individuals that see what's possible, and they're driven, driven, driven by an ecstatic urgency to give rise to it, and as a result of the fact that they are in the in, in, uh, awake to this impulse that won't let them rest until this happens, uh, you know the the evolution of consciousness and culture uh, uh, has you know it, it, it continues to be and has been the result of that so it 's very interesting when you realize that the creative motive in in human beings the creative aspiration and inspiration in human beings is the same is related to the creative motivation that gives that, that causes biological life to evolve, which is which we relate back to the same creative motion, motivation to exist in the first place as time space and form right there there was a mm-hmm. I my metaphysical interpretation of the first cause of the Big Bang was was God or absolute spirits desire to exist in time and form and space And the and the and the, the question is why if 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 in a state of perfect unimaginable ease of being and peace for eternity why would there be a desire to give rise to to a, to a universe or multiple universes of time and space. Well, the answer would be, why not? So if, if, because because you're God, you're all you're always free, uh, you're always free, and, you're, and you might get curious since you've been doing nothing for eternity. You've been <laughs> doing nothing for eternity. You might get curious about maybe you know maybe it might be time for me to do something. You say, and then mm-hmm. nah, 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 I won't. Why I'm gonna just I won't do anything. And you could say, this thought might be, we begin to arise in your no mind. You know, once every, you know, once every. Hundred billion eons of no time passes by. It might continue to arise, and, and it would build up. It would build up as some kind of creative tension in your being until finally you just say, "Well, why not?" And if you were if you were if you were God, there would be no reason not to, because you because you, you would not experience fear. And you become, you become curious. What would it be like to do? So this is a, kind of a metaphysical. Yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a it's it's a metaphysical ter- interpretation of the desire to exist. But Marji anyway, used to
0: say, "There's no fun in loneliness," and he, he would say, "The purpose of creation is the expansion of happiness." There
1: we go, <sighs> there we go. So the so the third level, the third level of this evolutionary impulse is the is the hum, that human beings experience is the desire to evolve at the level of consciousness. So spiritual seekers get bitten by a bug something awakens in them and that would they they, they what their experiences i must become more conscious i have to become more conscious mm-hmm. and where does that come from because for example someone like me you know i grew up in a secular culture so so from whence comes this compulsion towards consciousness this 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 exists as an in, as, in, as inherent at a certain level in the process and we realize that the energy remember the that um, that the greatest mystics tell the ultimate truth about the nature of reality is there's only one and not two. So, so that, the, evolu- the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe, which we experience as the evolutionary impulse, is the manifestation and expression of that which is one and not two as the creative motive in the cosmos. So when, you, when human beings awa- uh, 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 exp- awaken at this, the third and this highest level, the, when they experience the evolutionary impulse level of consciousness, I must become more conscious. I have to become more conscious. What's happening is that we can say the evolutionary, the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe is trying to become more conscious through us. And that is what is so amazing, amazing, so fascinating. We realize that God is everything. God is both being and becoming. God is the desire to exist and to become. When And when I experience this this creative, this, this urge towards innovation, when I experience this urge towards consciousness, it's not me, Andrew, the unique individual who's seeking for enlightenment, it's the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe, is trying to evolve through me, and that I think is so amazing, it's so exciting It recontextualizes the, 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 the meaning, the purpose, and the place of the human experience in, in the 21st century in, in a way that I just, at least for me personally, nothing else can because you you, you, you kind of realize, oh there's something very dramatic, there's something very big that's, try- that's happening, it's that's trying to happen and most importantly needs me, needs you, needs, needs, needs each and every one of us to consciously participate as much as we are able to so that this can happen because, because from an evolutionary point of view uh, um, you, we, we, from an evolutionary orientation, God, in manifestation is only as as evolved or as enlightened as we are and this, yeah. th- th- in terms of the at, creation, at least it, in this,
0: it, at least in this corner of the galaxy, I mean there could <laughs> we might well, be no, in the I, arm, we might be in the armpit of the galaxy, for all we know, and there could be civilizations that are a billion years more advanced than, than we are, but you know it's for practically speaking, from our experience here on Earth, yeah.
1: No, in, indeed. I mean, indeed, what you're saying is true. It's very unlikely that we're the only ones, it, it, especially because we find that the universe seems to be getting bigger all the time. We find that it's getting bigger and bigger, so it's very unlikely that we're it. But, it, but it, as far as we know at the moment,
0: yeah, we're, we're, it.
1: We're, we're it. But, but, but even if we do find, you know, civilizations that are infinitely more evolved than we are, the fundamental principle still remains. Sure. That, that the energy and intelligence that created created the universe is creating the universe. Is evolving in, in us, through us, as us, and does not exist in some fully, like in a traditional Eastern model, and also in Western notions of God, does not exist in some fully evolved state, some, somehow outside or beyond the process. That with, you, you, you could say within manifestation, that whatever the leading edge of, of, of the evolutionary process is within it, is as far as the creative impulse has gone within the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and that, that's what's new.
0: Interesting question to ask is why the urgency now? You know, why does there seem to be this acceleration taking place at this time? And the easy answer is we're probably going to kill ourselves if it doesn't you know, speed up. Um, but what would you say to that? Well,
1: well, I think that it's important to understand that the nature of the the nature of the evolutionary impulse is relentlessly urgent forever and always. That's what it is. The ap- because the ap- because if what, what I'm calling the evolutionary impulse, which is which is the to, to drive towards existence, and then a to drive towards higher and higher and higher and higher existence, greater complexity and higher integration, and greater complexity and higher integration and greater complexity and higher. And complexity and higher. It's relentless. It, 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 the impulse yeah. in and of it. Remember, the impulse is not an individual. It's like the sexual impulse is not an individual. But when the, the individual awakens to the sexual impulse, their individuality begins to express the qualities of the sexual impulse. But the sexual impulse itself is relentless, right? Mm-hmm. And unlike, and unlike our biological experience of the evolutionary impulse, uh, when we experience it at higher levels, would, would you experience it's the, it's this telos or drive in the cosmos? So, no, therefore, Rick, no matter what happens, no matter what emerges, right. there will from from that from, from God or absolute spirit as the evolutionary impulse, there's never there is no relief. It's it's an unquenchable. As it's an unquenchable creative aspiration, and we could say, well, you, you could say, well, let's let's have metaphysical speculation. We could say, we could venture to guess, well, maybe this, ur- maybe this, the the urge in this, we could say, is towards consciousness. So if 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 the ur- if the ultimate if, because basically this is again this is metaphysical fantasy or speculation. Uh, God chose to create the universe in His own image. The image of God is from a metaphysical point of view, is is consciousness without beginning and end. So therefore, so you could translate that and say, well, therefore, if I want to create a material universe in my own image, when all the matter in the universe turns to light, which would mean becomes conscious or self-aware, then we c- could say that that init- you know, based on this kind of thinking, that that initial creative aspiration would be fulfilled. But th- I mean, that's just a metaphysical speculation. Who
0: knows whether that ever happens?
1: Yeah. W- w- well, yeah, it's kind of unimaginable. We don't really know. But the thing is that the, the nature, what's important for people to understand, is that the nature of the evolutionary impulse is relentless and unending. It it, it there, there is no arrival point. There's, right. no, there's no arrival. There's no relief, and there's no release. And the on- only the only place we you and I can experience relief and release is when we let. Of the whole mission pro- process and experience, being.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, what I was suggesting, though, is that just as there seems to be—I mean, look at the computers we're using today, rather, compared to what we used 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Just as there seems to be this ex- ex- exponential acceleration in technology, uh, there, everything's speeding up. I mean, we're—the the global warming is speeding up, and uh, population, and there's so many things which, you know, in and of themselves, any one of these things could. Could probably wipe out the species. So it seems like there's a um, uh, concomitant um, acceleration in spiritual evolution taking place on the planet. Perhaps to be to counterbalance uh, uh, and um, you know save us from ourselves. Uh, maybe maybe this awakening needs to happen in order to you know bring about the sort of so-called New Age, if we want to think in that those terms, 2012 stuff. Um, and maybe that's why we're all feeling so rigid and why, why there seems to be an epidemic of people, you know, getting interested in this kind of thing and having spiritual awakenings.
1: Well, I, I actually see it quite differently. Um, uh, I think what I'm about to say is probably, is probably going to be quite controversial for many of your your listeners. But um, uh-huh. I don't, I mean, I, I, I have to say that I realize we are facing, you know, uh, Tremendous challenges. You know, global warming is a, just a very big challenge, mm-hmm. uh, which we're not really meeting or addressing. <laughs> right. The Global warming, uh, o- overpopulation, um, um, the you know the the deterioration of the biosphere, and all the other problems that everybody already knows about. That I, I don't need to waste too much time. So we are facing enormous, enormous, enormous challenging uh, challenges that are like, that are threatening life on earth for human beings and for animals mm-hmm. and for life as we've known it. But there's another way to look at this, and, that, and what a lot of people don't seem to be aware of is things are better in our world for more human beings than, than they've ever been. So to be very specific, more human beings are experiencing a, very, a, 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 a standard of living that kings and queens couldn't, couldn't, couldn't even have dreamed of you know uh, 100 years ago 200 years ago 500 years ago 1000 years ago 10,000 years ago so oh, very so we, true so the stand, so the standard of living the, the the state of our 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 health our, our our personal and political freedoms most of us can within reason more or less do anything we want uh, our access to information and communication i mean the the, the 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 life that you and i and all of your listeners leads is is, is a life of privilege freedom opportunity that is historically unprecedented, and so the thing is that things are better. There's less violence in the world. The world is a more peaceful place right now than it has ever been in the history of our, in the history of human civilization. There's a there's a very powerful book called The Better Angels of Our Nature by Harvard psychologist Steven Pinker, where he, he in exhaustive detail he makes clear that there is less uh, there's there's less war, there's less gener- genocide, there's less rape, there's less Killing. There's less beating. There's less brutality than there's ever been in the history of our species. And so the point I want, I, I like to make, and it's very, it's it's interesting. The spiritual teacher is making it is the reason that things are better than they've ever been, in spite of the enormous challenges that we're facing, is because of the great gifts of modernism, right? This cultural evolution, modernism and postmodernism. So, so of course, so modernism really made it possible for billions of people who. Previous to, or previously, in history, had no way of rising up, you know, from from a life of serf, serfdom or, or 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 slavery or poverty. You know, modernism made it made it possible for 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 this burgeoning middle class all over the world to emerge. And that you know, all,
0: all that's very true, but it almost seems like the polarities are increasing because on the one hand, everything you said is absolutely true, but on the other hand, it, it's only in our lifetimes that we've had the capacity to. You know, wipe out the the human race. That's
1: but but that's also (laughs) true. No, no, but this is this is true. There are the point is um, we are facing enormous challenges, right? Mm -hmm. We're facing enormous challenges uh, with you know nuclear weapons, with uh, with you know with biotechnology. We're we're entering into a a a brave new world that is very difficult for us to even begin to understand. You know, the moral and spiritual implications, the moral, practical, and metaphysical implications. We're entering into a world of this kind of complexity and possibility. Uh, I agree with you, but but, but relatively speaking, and it's what most people don't know, things are better than they've ever been, and yeah, that's uh, that. You know, because even so, mod, modernism made it possible for billions of people to rise up, and postmodernism has this. Ha, postmodernism was when human, when uh, millions of human beings awp- aw- 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 awoke to a world the world centric, universal, the consciousness of the world centric universal human. And this is when we this is when we started realizing that all human beings are created equal. This was like what great saints like Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi died for this realization. That, Rick, you and I take this for granted, but only a few short years ago, you know, most people on earth didn't see things that way. And so, the, the you know the the in terms of the, the the rights for women, the liberation of women, the civil rights movement. The wor- the world is a very you know now uh, you know dictators and uh, warlords and monsters are being now brought to the Hague and put on trial. I mean this, there was never this kind of there's never this kind of thing. Where the world is so much more civilized than it's ever been. So what I'm saying to you is, if, if we add to that, the fact that our, our techn- the, the technology is making all kinds of things possible that there are, that uh, that emergence you see emergence is when emergence is the most exciting is is, is, is the most exciting truth that I've ever discovered and emergence is something was first discovered in biology and emergence is when greater complexity emerges from lesser complexity mm-hmm. and this is very how can greater complexity emerge from lesser complexity these these are these are big breakthroughs this, and and emergence you know happens in biology it happens in science it happens in all kinds it also can happen in terms of consciousness also which is what I think is so interesting so i think we have to temper our our reasonable our understandable concern with you know, with with also some faith, you know, we need to also have some faith in our own, uh, you know, in a faith in ourselves because you know we have there has been so much development, right? things are so much better, and if things are better, not because of traditional religion or even because of mysticism, it's because of cultural evolution, and you know, the world is a better place because of us. Right? The world is a more moral and civil, civil pla- civilized place because of us, and so what I, what I try and advocate for people is I feel that we need to stop getting down on ourselves and, and so much and realize that you know the w- human beings are evolving and have evolved some, we're continuing to, and we need to feel good about that and use that, 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 that sense of self-confidence in order to address these quite overwhelming challenges that we're having because yeah. I, 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 don't, so I,
0: I, I don't want to get you off the track, but let's sure. take the, what you all everything you just said and bring it into the context of evolutionary enlightenment, which is the main thing you, you know you want to talk about here. How how does give us a recap of, of that in, in the light of evolutionary enlightenment?
1: Well, I mean, well, well, basically, um, how, how evolutionary re- enlightenment relates to cultural evolution, it, which is very simple, which is uh, culture are, are shared values. Culture are shared values. Uh, a postmodern culture, basically, uh, post-modern culture says that uh, every, every, everything's relative. Post-mo- you know, post-modernism is known for, 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 for pluralism and relativism. It flattens everything out. and There's, no, there's nothing higher than, than the individual. So when you awaken to evolution, when you realize that you're part of a, a process that's going somewhere and that's going somewhere new and in order to get there it needs you to get it needs you to make it happen it needs your body your mind your intelligence your wisdom your your compassion it needs all of your life energy God God, or the energy and intelligence that created the universe needs all of Rick and all of Andrew to get to the next step uh... It, this, that truth uh... provides us uh... with an absolute uh, an absolute Source of meaning and purpose. Okay, and the big problem with with postmodernism is, why am I here? You know, what's you know wh- what is this, What's the point of life? You know, and a lot of a lot of people are so nihilistic. They they there there there's nihilism and there's just a purple, purposelessness and uh, often people get into Advaita. They get it, They they also mix Advaita, Advaita philosophy with nihilism and and, and to me it, it's quite dangerous and dark stuff. So, 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 an evolutionary perspective can awaken us to an absolute sense of, of of purposefulness, and what that means, Rick, is that is that suddenly, Rick, Rick's existence as Rick, as he is right now, Andrew's existence in the world as he is right now, suddenly is imbued with meaning, purpose, and value because we realize. That the, that the evolution of the interior of the cosmos, where we're going, is, is really resting on, on Rick's shoulders and Andrew's shoulders, and so then the enlightenment dimension of it becomes into it because enlightenment is always about evolution beyond ego. Unless Andrew and Rick are willing to transcend their their selfishness, their small-mindedness, their, their their selfishness and their narcissism, they are not going to be able to be vehicles uh, uh, v- vehicles uh, that are that are going to. Uh, uh, through which this energy and intelligence is going is to be able to create the future.
0: So would you um, say that that transcendence of selfishness and narcissism is necessarily going to result in overtly obvious changes in a person's life or yes, uh, yes so certainly. like let's say once some guys working a dead end job you know and he, he's very frustrated but he, he can't he, in this job market he can't find another one he's got kids to support uh, he feels like his life is meaningless because this, this job is so boring or or the house, you know, single mom with three kids who's struggling to make ends meet how, how is this going to trickle down to the nitty gritty of the lives of, of people like that well I I uh... Uh, i mean they can't all jump on the bandwagon and become <laughs> spiritual teachers you know <laughs> they...
1: no 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 but well, what i what i uh, evolutionary enlightenment is not for the masses what i'm teaching is not for everybody huh. what what i'm teaching is for people who are at the very edge of the postmodern experiment who've come to the edge of the postmodern experiment and realize that it's run out of gas right that it's basically a dead end and 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 realize that we that, that we need to take that next step and so what i'm what i'm teaching is is really only for those for for those people, it's not. This is not a uh, and and it's a very and what I'm teaching is uh, when, once you uh, once you get bitten by this bug, and this kind of passion gets liberated within one's being, within one's awakened within one's soul, it kind of begins to take over your whole life. Mm. You, know? you because the, it's it's the truth that if, if God is the energy and intelligence that created the universe and is creating the universe, and you awaken to yourself as that energy and intelligence. Your, 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 your values begin to change, your interests change, you, and, you be, and, and now you feel an enormous sense of purpose, purposefulness, and an enormous responsibility, an enormous responsibility, because from an absolute point of view, from a non-dual point of view, you are and I am the only one that there is. So that means that Rick, right, is the only one that there could have been that chose to take that leap from formlessness to form, from nothing to something, from being to becoming, which means, Rick, this is all you are doing. You did all of this, which means it's all your responsibility. Now, of course, that's a, from a metaphysical point of view, from a non-dual, absolute metaphysical point of view. It is all your responsibility, of course. And so what that means, though, is that, is that we, when we awaken to this evolutionary uh, 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 orientation, we begin to feel you, your, one's own experiences. You, it emerges from within you. It's not because someone tells you you start to feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility for where we're all going and and that begins to take over one's, one's very being. So then one's values shift, you know, all the, the whole ego's agenda, if one really gets that awakens powerfully in this, the ego's agenda just gets uh, uh, so, uh, uh, released because it's, it's, all of that becomes irrelevant. It all becomes irrelevant because now now I know who I am, and, it's, and, and who I am is, 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 is a very different self with a very different agenda. And the, and the agenda you know, is the, is the evolution of the interior of the cosmos. It's a very big project, and, and, it, and it, will, it will take over one's, one's, one's entire being. It's not... Uh, and it's so liberating, because it's so utterly liberating.
0: So would it be true to say that most of the people who get involved with you, who start going to your retreats and stuff, um, do experience this sort of world-changing transformation in their lives. They, they, this fire ignites within them and lots of big changes happen that would be obvious to their friends and family. Uh, or do, do a great many of them kind of flounder around for a long time thinking, okay, well, I, I, I hear what he's saying and I'd I certainly like to make a difference, but what can I do?
1: Oh, well, all of the above happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all the
1: above happens. But, you know, what happens is usually with me, it's like... Um, like be, when I was a young teacher, you know, what I was interested in doing was you know, blowing people's minds by giving them a, a very powerful experience of, of, a, of, a, of a higher state, you know, to blow their minds. So, but now my interest is very different. I, I, there's, there's a different perspective I want to share with people. I want to convince people with my argument. And, I, I, and when people awaken to this perspective, it literally—it's a completely different—it's wor- a worldview. It's—it's a—it's—it's a—it's a worldview, and it's a—it's—it's it's a moral, philosophical, and spiritual perspective, and a worldview, and it completely changes the way one sees everything. Now, having a glimpse or an awakening to that worldview is—is is one experiences ecstasy and 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 a sense of possibilities that are that are infinite, and that's so liberating. But of course that's usually that's usually the beginning and you know, getting all of oneself on board with that, you know, it takes years, you know. It, assuming assuming one has the courage and the will and the inspiration to follow through
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, 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 it takes time because, you know, we, we're also conditioned. We, we 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 have other agendas, you know. And some, of those sure. agen- some of those agendas aren't conscious. They're, 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 more, they're psychological and emotional agendas. They're cultural agendas. They're, there's, there's so many different parts of ourselves that have been so deeply conditioned with other, with other, mo- other motives and other agendas that, that, this, that, ra- that this radical shift of agenda and internalizing it to the degree are talking about it, is a, an enormous process. And, uh, and, it, and it takes time and, 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 and practice and consideration. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's not a snap of the fingers kind of affair. Because remember, Rick, that in, for example, the, advi- the kind of Advaita realization we were talking about before, that's when you, you step outside of time. It happens like that, boom. Evol- evolution is development that happens in and through time. So it's a completely different thing, right? One is you step outside of time, you're freed from time. But remember, ev- evolution and higher development is a, is, a, is a consistent process that happens in time. And so, this, this the kind of development that we're talking about takes time and is also perpetual. There's no end to it. Like in the, in the notion of the e- traditional Eastern life, someone becomes "quote unquote" fully enlightened. You know, one's burnt to ash, one's done. And uh, um, when you embrace an evolutionary worldview, we realize that we're all works in progress. We're all works in progress, no matter who we are, no matter how enlightened we are. In an evolutionary in an evolutionary universe, we're all works in progress. So there's, there's no such thing as uh, as, as, as being completely there.
0: I say that in just about every interview. I say as long as you're breathing, you know, you're evolving. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Now uh, I know you have to go in probably just a couple of minutes, right? Um, so we, we better wrap it up. I, I just want to um, ask one kind of personal question. I mean, uh, without spoiling the whole. Beauty of this uh, discussion, but you know people have been sending in emails and so on, and as you know the, you know you 've had your critics in the past, and do you feel like and, and I can think back ten, twenty, thirty years in my own life and c- just cringe at things i 've said and done um, yeah, you know, and I feel i like 've grown out of a lot of that Do you feel like there's been an evolution in your own style of functioning as a teacher, which you know would cause you to look upon things that happened in the past as a lesser developed state. Uh, You become more mature in in certain ways.
1: Uh, uh, Well, let me put it this way. Um, The answer is definitely, yes, that's the short answer. Mm -hmm. The the long answer is, um, uh, I was very naive when I started teaching. I was 30 years old when I was was, uh, fully empowered to be a teacher. And I only had 30 years life experience in all this. Um, I've learned a lot over the last 26 years. I'm, a, I'm an infinitely wiser man 26 years later because I've learned so much about what it is that I'm doing, and I'm continuing. I continue to learn so much about what it is that I'm doing. Um, I uh, I didn't really realize all those years ago that, how what was involved in all this. I thought if people said I want to go all the way, they really meant it. Mm. And... Um, I
0: didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, and perhaps your methods of have, helping them go all the way have become re- more refined. You know, you might have.
1: Well, Well, no, well to put it that, but, uh, uh, there was a certain period of time when I I needed earnestly, urgently to to have a, a big breakthrough I, 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 in terms of where this whole teaching was going. And so, in order to do it, I had to put enormous pressure on individuals who said that they this this was their whole life. So this was this these were all adults who were were fully in agreement about this was what they were committed to, so i put i did put enormous pressure on uh, a, 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 you know the, the people who were with me at a certain for a certain period of time and the thing is Rick enormous breakthroughs occurred mm-hmm. unless those enormous breakthroughs occurred i'd never be where I am now in other words never. in other words what happened was essential and unavoidable to because uh, because uh a, 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 a portal opened up, a possibility opened up, an emergence happened, that unless I had pushed as hard as I did, it would have never happened. Could I have done it differently? Could it have been done more skillfully? Well, probably, of, of, of course it could, but the thing is that there was, n- there was never any ill, Ill, uh, Ill will or, mo- or bad motive on my part. I was, I was only trying to catalyze a, a very big breakthrough, and the thing is I have done that. Now, in terms of my teaching style, i have i'm in a completely different space now i don 't have any interest in doing battle with people 's egos anymore and i that 's what I was basically doing twenty four hours a day for for a certain period of years and i you know and I pushed things pretty hard yeah. not not because because i because I had to get a lot of people on the other side of something, and unless I got a lot of people on the other side of something we weren't going to really be going anywhere new together and this was all about going somewhere new together so that happened and I, and I, I literally don't teach that way at all anymore I'm uh, I I really don't get very intimately involved in that kind of teaching with people I, it's I'm, it's I'm more present my ideas and I, that, and is the energy for teaching that way doesn't exist within me anymore it's kind of it's, it's a fire that has gone out but the reason is because I think it it um, uh, I I succeeded. What what had needed to happen then happened and now I'm uh, now I'm working upon and building upon all the momentum that was generated by doing it.
0: Well you know they say that you can judge the caliber of a teacher by the caliber of the people who are around him, who associate with him and I've always been very impressed by you know the sorts of people you have who have associated with you guys like Craig Hamilton and my friend Egal and and uh, the people who edit and write your magazine and the guys you talk to like Ken Wilbur and all there's, um you know there's a there's a quality that's evident uh, a maturity and an intelligence that's evident in all these people that um, I think speaks well of your whole effort.
1: Well, th- well, thank you very much. And, and I also want to just send that last point that I'm also indebted to, to everybody who's with me through those years, some of whom aren't with me. I'm also indebted to them because, because they all, all in their own way helped to, 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 to get this amazing teaching to, to where it is.
0: Yeah, great. Well, thanks. Let me just make a quick... A ra- couple of wrap-up points um, for the sake of those who've been listening, and uh, you know, let's do this again sometime. Andrew, you're, you're, you're evolving. I believe in evolution. Maybe a couple of years from now, we'll be seeing things with even definitely newer definitely. eyes.
1: No, no, no definitely. <laughs> I'm 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 learning all the time, and um, yeah, I'm 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 learning more and more and more and more all the time, and I I'm I'm stunned about how far there is to go.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I would love to, and I very much appreciated talking with you. I
1: really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: Great. Before we disconnect then, let me just make a couple of wrap-up points. So you've been listening to or watching an interview with Andrew Cohen on my interview show called Buddha at the Gas Pump. The implication of that title is that in this day and age you may be pumping gas and there's uh, Buddha next to you doing the same thing. There's all sorts of people waking up these days. Um, and if you have enjoyed this interview and like, would like to listen to others, this is, I think, number 130. Uh, they're all archived on my site, batgap.com. Go there. You can find them all. You can sign up for an email notification to be notified each time a new one is posted. You can subscribe to a podcast. You can listen to this on your iPod if you like. And there's a discussion group, as I mentioned earlier, and some of the discussions get very lively. Um, each, each interview has its own little discussion area, So, um, and let's try to keep the comments relevant to each particular interview if possible. There's a general comments area for things which aren't relevant to the interview, and some people actually say they like the discussions better than the interviews. <laughs> so go there if you like and participate, that's batgap.com. I'll be linking to Andrew's site and to his books, uh, his newest one being Evolutionary Enlightenment, which I have very much enjoyed reading and we will see you next time. Next week is Lori Moore, um, who among other things is an animal communicator, and the week after that is a a priest who's been living in a monastery and recently had a non-dual awakening and has decided to leave the monastery, and so that should be an interesting story. So thanks for listening or watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Rick.